My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Matthew Blagg. Now, Matthew is the CEO at Critical Eye and the trusted advisor to many senior leaders. His experiences in setting up businesses, advising firms on strategy and sourcing senior executives for boards means that he has an acute understanding of the challenges that leaders face. So I'm really keen to hear more. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Tell me, how is lockdown treating you? Well, Angela, it's lovely to um, to see you. Um, lockdown's got a wonderful balance between huge highs and huge lows. So with a two-year-old and eight-year-old kind of chaotic <laughs> and um, slightly mad, and obviously homeschooling is difficult. Um, but then on the other side, not travelling is kind of easy. So um, it's, it's that balance. And obviously um, work's incredibly hectic. So um, balancing the components in life and separation issues, because we're all under one roof and yeah, has been, has been crazy. As we're emerging and the sun shines, it gets a bit easier every day. The sunshine does help a lot, and it's that kind of corona coaster, isn't it? That's how I'm liking it being described: the highs and lows, like being on the corona coaster. Definitely the corona coaster, and, and um, there's a there's a there's the coaster of the alcohol that you have along the way as well, and it's the right <laughs> balance depending on where you are on the coaster, isn't there? I'm totally teetotal, so I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> to go there, but it's probably cake eating in, in my house. I, I do both. It's terrible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, as I said, it's an absolute joy to have you on the show. And I know that you're going to add so much value because you're a real inspiration. Um, and so I want to get you in the success mindset right from the outset. And we always start the podcast with what I call the shake your pom-poms moment. So this is about you being your own cheerleader. And if you could share with us your three proudest moments, that would be wonderful. I think that it's a great question because you think about it. And I'm generally not a preparer of stuff. So I'm not someone who necessarily puts things in on pedestal. So, so I break it down into three, three areas. The most important thing for me in my life is my two children. And so there's no there's no question the proudest points would be the two of them emerging. So Felicity and Isabel. And, you know, the reality of that is I was very fortunate to have a, a wonderful family environment and upbringing. And so my key role in life is to provide the same. So them emerging was unquestionably the first um, and biggest proud moment. I think the, the as a reference point in terms of success, I was brought up with a grandmother who is a royalist. Not everyone is, but but I am as such. And I was very fortunate to have lunch in Buckingham Palace a few years ago. 
And for me, that represented, I suppose, sort of an element of achievement. But to a certain extent, it was more the smile I know that it would have had for my grandmother. Oh, and, yeah. um, and how much that would have meant to her. And so that was hugely important. And then I think the third element in terms of uh, pride is, is more by association. I work with my wife and she's had two rounds of cancer. And so the pride I've had of her and how she's coped with that and emerging back into normality um, through two children, two rounds of cancer has unquestionably um, been huge. So I think that that to a certain extent, I think success is a, there's tangible things, but but most successes are the intangibles. And mm. I think I've been very fortunate to have very easy, obvious, sort of intangible moments of success. Like two rounds of cancer. Is your wife well now? She is. She she had a bad bout of COVID and and um, was touch and go in terms of hospitalisation and and that was was um was tough. But what what I, what I would say is the the positives that came out of of her cancer in the sense of the simplicity that that we have I think everyone's different when they they have real trauma but actually for us it's an opportunity to to refocus on simply what makes you happy mm. and um, and that's a good thing and it's been quite a good thing as well when you get to being locked down because actually there's not much that we've done differently other than the social elements around the way we we live or want to live so the home oh, wow. baking I made jam at the weekend. They're all things that I would have loved to do normally. And so they feel very natural. And yes. I'm the only house on my street that's got a veg patch. So for me, all of those things are things that now everyone wants to do, but actually the yes. things I enjoy and um, aspire to, and actually probably have a little bit more time because I'm not traveling as much. So of course. Again, yeah. I think there's huge positives that, that the current environment and hardship brings you. Yeah, it really does help us, doesn't it, to kind of shine a light on life and understand what we like about it and what we don't like and try and make some changes. And I guess that's the same when you're facing into cancer. Um, not that I've personally experienced that, but I can imagine that it does make you evaluate what's important and what isn't. Well, and it's, well, it's great to hear that she's well. I think from an observer, and obviously a very, very, very close observer, what you realise is, is that not the physical issues because they're very easy to see and deal, and deal with in one way. The, the um, mental elements of confidence and belief yes. um, are far, far more complex and, and hard to, to, to develop and manage. And if they're not dealt with, come back out further down the line. And I think we all take our health for granted. You know, I'll be 50 this year. And, and you, as you get older, you naturally become every ache and pain sort of yeah you slightly subconsciously we all do it wonder what things are I think we all mm -hmm. as humans have that I think if you've had real med medical trauma it's real yes. and I think that 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 um can I think eat you and I think that to be able to then manage that and thrive because life's about thriving I think yeah. it's really really difficult but key to success yeah, it's a real, really strong point that you make. And it'll probably come out as we as we progress through the podcast. And um, Buckingham Palace, I've got to ask. I mean, I can imagine I would be really fearful having to go and do that because I'd be wondering which knife and fork I needed to use. And I've got kind of, you know, throwbacks to Pretty Woman when she's in the film there and she gets it all wrong. How big was the table is my first question. There, there was about 30 of us around the lunch. I mean, actually, I did oh. two things at, at Buckingham Palace and... and I like to say it was when I was um, an advisor for the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. So, oh, wow. and uh, which was fascinating because anyone who knows me will know I know nothing about music, and <laughs> um, and, and so um, particularly 
unusual involvement, but but which I loved, and they're a wonderful institution, and um, and I was very proud to to be there. And, and yes, the the um, the table's not not necessarily large, and but the environment is one. And again, I think it's whether it means something to you, and it yeah. and it it's, um, for me. Oh, absolutely. Your grandmother, as you say, would have been so proud. It's amazing. And and you've just mentioned there being the advisor to the, the Philharmonic Orchestra. Look, grandma's over there. Look, there she is. In the, oh, in the... I can see a photo of her. I guess see, be just, to, there's, but... there's grandma looking down on me right now. She's got her hat on. That's lovely. <laughs> Very royal. <laughs> it's like Royal Ascot week as well, isn't it? Brilliant. Now, your career, when I read about your career, I mean, is so varied um, and really exciting, actually, and, and so many different aspects. So I'd love it if you could just kind of give, you know, give the listeners a little bit more of an overview of what you do and what you've done um, and some of the exciting aspects of what you get involved in. So um, I left school at 17. I, I'm pretty well academically useless. Give me a test <laughs> and, I, and I, I will fail it. But I was always someone who was confident and um, people were confident of me, I think. And I was very fortunate to have parents who 100% supported me. So I set my first company up when I was 18 and I worked from, from home with my parents and they uh, enabled me to do that. And I always remember the conversation I had with my dad when I said I wasn't going to university. And he said, well, you're going to the University of Life. And yeah. so and that was huge because that support's key for you when you're doing those sort of things. And in those days, that was probably a bit unusual. Actually, I think it's easy to do when you're young. I had nothing to lose. I didn't have any fear. Um, you run into it. And for a number of years, I built a business up and sold it um, when I was 24, having had an incredible university experience. And I'd done all areas of business from doing the accounts to sales to distribution. And I've got huge stories about how not to do things. <laughs> and um, and that really was the bedrock. If you then I've run, created four businesses, criticised my fourth and last. I knew when I created it, I would never do another. Four is enough for anyone. And and also criticalize, which is effectively a um, community for, for CEOs and leaders, is unquestionably the lovely mix of, of skills. I mean, it's about strategy and execution of strategy. It's about scaling businesses and, and um, the complexity of scaling. And it's about leadership in terms of um, how to lead people and, and transform organisations. But above all, and for me, the key ingredient, it's working with people. And the richness of people is by far the most important thing in my life, because I think that they're fallible, and they're different, and there's, you never stop learning. And for me, that's been the, the, if you look back on my career, and I don't think I necessarily realised it, but curiosity has been key. And I don't think you can ever lose curiosity about people. And, and if you do, it's a very sad day, but certainly not one I've got to yet. Oh, I totally share that with you. I love curiosity. And, and you know, you do have a really unique way of connecting and, you know, you, you're so interested in other people. And that really comes across in the conversations that we've had. Um, so it definitely is part of your success through my eyes. And, and lovely to hear you talk about that. And, you know, I mean, clearly you did like an MBA as part of, of setting up your first company. And you said there are lots of things that you got wrong. So let's explore that. Let's explore some of the lessons that you've learned along the way that have helped to kind of shape who you are now. This is probably a good example of, of how I've had to come to terms with things that I, I was not good at. I'm not saying I'm any good, any, um, but at least I don't worry about it. My, my first business was a wine mail order company, and I used to do wine talks, and I was from 18 to 24 pretty young, and my audience was generally 
middle-aged and as such you know there was a discord there so I was an unusual yeah. person usually people go into the wine trade at the end of their life because it's a hobby <laughs> um yeah. also um I wasn't I was very good at understanding the commercial and taste elements of wine but I wasn't someone who understood all and, and cared about all of the horticultural elements and environmental elements of how the wine was produced and I always knew when I went to do speeches and tastes, tastings that there would be people in the room that were far more knowledgeable than me. And I hated every second of it. I used to drive to them, smoke a packet of cigars on the way there. I must have reeked, by the way. When you think about that, <laughs> you couldn't do it now because you couldn't smoke a packet of cigars and turn up in someone's. But of course, in those days, most people smoked, so it was acceptable. Yeah. And then, of course, um, I would do it. And then on the way home, I'd smoke the other, another, the other packet that I bought because I'd survived. And what, why did I do it? Because um, it wasn't financially particularly lucrative, but it was about getting, putting myself into a place where I was extremely uncomfortable and recognizing that if I was gonna have any sort of career in any form, I couldn't run from that, I had to run towards it. And if, if you then fast forward to, to my career, unquestionably it's made a big difference to my ability to sit in front of people in a large audience. I've always had the ability to sit one-to-one -one with people. That was something yes. that was very natural to me. I was very able and confident of doing that. But sitting in front of a large audience or, or a TV camera was something that I was not naturally, and I'm not someone who necessarily has an ego being visible. And so for me, that, and when I look back, and I talk to the youngsters who, who um, you know, I've employed over the years and I, and I try to encourage them to confront the things that they're not good at because yes there's accelerating your positives but actually if you can as a young person get over those things for your career it really pays out and so for me that there were lots of those sorts of elements that I was able to get over through that those early years. So it wasn't that you were fearless in your youth you did feel the fear but actually you were able to muster the courage to face into those fears and do it anyway is what you're saying yeah I mean, you know with all of your work we all have insecurity I mean mm. there's a human being alive that doesn't have insecurity now psychopaths can turn it off but most people <laughs> You know, it, it's it in you know, all of us. And so we all have those moments and still do. And there's a lot of people out there now where through COVID probably challenges a lot of the things that, that were strong beliefs. Yeah. And particularly at the moment, leaders, I think, have a real challenge because it's becoming a, a more analytical environment. And this isn't an analytical environment. This is instinctive leadership. So, you know, there's a lot of leaders at the moment who I feel are very exposed because they haven't got information flow and they won't have good information flow for at least 12 months. So yes. when I when I look back um, on my life and you look at the consistent, I mean, the four four businesses I've set up were all in different industries. I'd never been in them before. And for me, they were learning and putting yourself in a place where you were exposed. But through that exposure, you learn more about yourself and you you're able to cope. And I mean, when we set Critical Eye up 17 years ago, it was probably a million to one shot to, to create it. We'd never done any of the things we'd done before. We'd never run an event. We'd never mentored anyone. We, we didn't have any background in any of the things that we did. What we felt we knew was the customer. And then we built stuff. And for, for me, that's that. Um, and you look at my career, it, it's, it's unquestionably was innovative because it was built with a customer in mind. Yeah, but yeah. it's because you didn't look at following. You looked at trying to lead. And lead means you have to go into the unknown. And I suppose that 
that that was probably because from a young age I pushed myself into places which I was exposed but but effectively more traditional and then that gave me the confidence to take a bigger jump it's fascinating and and I think that that element of the academia is an interesting one certainly a lot of senior leaders that I work with uh, and me, I include myself in this, are really held back by the fact that they didn't go to university. And, and that doesn't actually come out explicitly, but it's something that they carry internally as part of a kind of not being good enough program. You know, I didn't get the university degree and therefore I'm not as good as my peers. And it's led me to the point where I'm actually doing um, a postgrad degree at the moment to try and kind of hush that internal voice. You mentioned that. How does that show up in your life now as a you know as a mature adult for me I think that there's, there's differences of people my brain isn't one that works with rote learning anyway so you know it was probably dyslexic but there was never described I mean as I said I did fail every single exam I left with pretty well no qualifications I never cared and had no pressure because of that there was never a point in my life and my brother by the way is the opposite he's a, he's a top country the country's top back surgeon uh, you don't get there unless you've got a pretty good brain and a pretty structured brain. And me and him are the opposite ends of the spectrum. He got all of it and I got none of it. Um, <laughs> but, but I like pictures and I, and I can see pictures and I like, um, and through that, you can see things in a different way. And I think yeah. that there's no point in me trying to compete with people on academic theory because I would never do well. So why bother? And I've, oh. never, I've, I've never cared. So the only thing, you know, when you look back is all my friends went and, and had a great time for a number of years. Most of them didn't <laughs> You missed out. out on that bit. <laughs> so, but I was running a wine company, so I can tell you I had some hellish yeah. there. I mean, I could tell you some wonderful stories. Um, I went, but, um, but ultimately I had, a, I had a hoolie. But I think that the, the, um, the key within it is that you should never put anything on a pedestal. And uh, academic qualifications for academic sake are pointless. And for any CEO will tell you they'll have attitude nearly every minute. Oh, of every absolutely. And so for me, I think I, and my general view is, is university degrees are less and less valuable. I think you can, you can download it really easily. And mm. for me, I would be more interested in the person who's got natural curiosity, who doesn't follow what's in the book, but works bloody hard. Because to yeah. be honest with you, most of life is about basics. So if you go back to a young Matthew and said, what will make you successful? I said, do the basics quickly and well. And if you do the basics quickly and well, actually, you'll probably be very successful. And I don't think that's changed. I think and that tell me, what are the basics then for you? The basics are you've got a form to fill, fill it in quickly and get it done. The basics are data entry, boring elements. <laughs> you know, my, my first business, my mail order company, there was no internet. There was no data that you could acquire. There was no communication channels. So at night, from the age of 18, I used to get the electoral roll. I used to manually key it into a computer to create labels. And then I used, wow. to, I used to manually print out letters that I would then lick the envelopes and, and um, stick the stamp on and post. Or I would physically get, get out and in my little van, drive around mail shotting. Wow. What did it give me? An incredible understanding of data and the importance of it. It gave me an element of that repetition and so much of life. And I generally don't use the analogy of sport, but if you look at sport, most of it's about the, the small step and practice, 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 practice. practice. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's true in most elements of life. Mm -hmm. you know, and if you look at great leaders, they generally do the small things really well, but they hold ground. They, they take on board the small components because generally if things are going wrong, you can see them first in the small bits. And if you do it, if you see it then, then it doesn't get bigger. 
And I think yeah. you don't see it then. And I, and I don't think that's complex. And I don't think it requires a massive intellect. I don't think it requires a qualification. So I'm not saying that qualifications aren't important. And in certain roles, you have to have them. But in most cases, I would take attitude and ability every day of the week. And you've certainly got that because you've built really successful companies and, you know, you've got this lovely way about you as well. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about what actually motivates you to get out of bed every morning and do what you do. I suppose it's easier to answer what doesn't motivate me and never has. Um, <laughs> um, because this would shock most people. Money has been the least important thing for me and stuff is the least important thing for me. So I bought my first house when I was 42, only because I then had a child. Up until then, it didn't bother me at all. My wife and children will tell you I, I don't um, have any care about what I wear and why I wear it. I don't have any jewellery, watches. Mm-hmm. I can't take your money with me. So what what is important? I like a nice glass of claret. Um, that's probably from the wine. Actually, ironically, I love wine more now than I did when I ran it. Really? Well, it's a job. It becomes a job, even if you do it and you enjoy it. Um I love to see smiles on, on the children's face. You know, I love to see the laughter. And I think that element of inner child, you know, for, for me, the, the hard points of life that the inner child has been threatened, mm. I mean, that's a really sad thing. And so for me, that element of humour and, and happiness, which I got from my grandma, yeah. unquestionably the most important thing in life. If you're happy, by the way, you have to work hard to be happy. Absolutely means you know not you are tackling some of the harder things you know with my two children if we don't shave the edges off they they'll be a blunt instrument and yeah. i won't be proud of that won't make me happy and, and it's more for them i want them to have a wonderful rich life and enjoy simple things and you know as a parent that's part of our role and again that's what i was given and so it's really important to try and pass that down, but do it in a, a, a very much a way that does give them a sense of humour and happiness. So it's about richness, but not aligned to money. Love that. I love well, that. And, you know, Critical Eye, it's three, run by the three founders of three friends, and we're still very much aligned and together, which is really important. It is effectively a family-run business and and has that approach towards the way, the way it's led. And I think that's important because... You know, we're all about creating trust. You know, we have market making information every minute of every day going through the community. They have to trust that, that our purpose is for good and yes. and that that's key to our success. And if you when we launched in Asia uh, about five years ago, we had a real concern about that cultural establishment of the community. And we were shocked how open and, and how easy it was to do that. Whereas in origination, it took us probably 10 years to really build that in the UK um, because the trust element of uh, in life is so important. Mm, totally. And and working with your wife, as you said, and, and um, you, you know, your friend, how does that work in reality? Because there must be, you must have a really good way of managing conflict, managing disagreements, such that you can continue to work as that that trio and, and it works. Well, you probably have to ask them, not me. I mean, uh, <laughs> They'll be better able to say whether I've got a good uh, approach. I, I've got well, a number of things. I firmly believe in the role of the CEO. And I think that when the chip comes down, when it comes down, one person has to make a call if it's 50-50. And if it's not 50-50, it's quite easy. Leadership's quite easy and consensus management absolutely works because it generally tilts in a direction. But at 50-50 calls, and, and, and where we're at the moment, absolutely the case. The, 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 the drive has to come from the CEO. So 
leadership behaviors in this, in this environment has to come back into decision making, fast decision making. But that means you've got to carry people. So and you've got to carry people, whether they're your wife or your friend. And so you've got to balance those things. So you've got to be able to to have a high degree of challenge, but recognize that it's the roles rather than the person. And I think that's a difficult thing. It's same as with your family. I think it can be difficult. I, I have a very close uh, relationship with my brother and sister. Every year we go away together as families for Easter in an independent location because then it's no one's place. We all yeah. alternate cooking. And when you reflect now how that's hugely important because as our families have each changed with children and different stages, our relationships have had to evolve. And I think that's so true in terms of, you know, my wife and, and the other directors. We've all had to evolve yeah. as the as the organisations evolve, but we've had to retain that friendship. So we've had to have an ability to separate the element of role and remit and personal. And, and I think that's important in life anyway, but we've had to do it because... Now, I'm not saying there aren't points that it doesn't get tasty. We've had, me and my wife <laughs> had some particularly bad journeys back from um, from uh, London where, for whatever <laughs> reason, I probably got it wrong. But um, but ultimately, the, the reality is that's life. And I think you're going to. It's your ability to then talk about it and share and, and discuss mm. it, which I think is really important. If you don't discuss those things, then they, they are like, like mm. they build. And it's very, very hard to um, eradicate them once they're built to a level and so that mm. element of being able to and I think that that element of also being able to say you got it wrong when you did and I have lots of times is really important yeah totally agree and I like the way that you've articulated that so separating the personal and the role and the remit um, is kind of the the key to making sure that that works now we are at the point in the podcast where we play the five second game rule and this is where I give you five seconds to give me three answers to one question. Blimey. No pressure at all. You're going to be brilliant. I know it. So are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. So, Matthew, in the five second game rule, can you give me three books that have influenced you? Ian Botham's autobiography, any book by Dick Francis and Wilbur Smith's books when he was alive. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Boom. And I'm going to do another one because you're good at it. So in the five second game rule, can you give me your three favourite places in the world? Uh, Lismore in Scotland. Um, Helion Thames, where I've been brought up. And I've got to say Minnesota for where my wife ah! and, and the American family live. Oh, amazing. And that's what's on your T-shirt. It is. That, that is oh. the Minnesota state. Much, very much in the news at the moment. Absolutely. And and Henley, beautiful place. I've been to the regatta there. I love it. But Scotland, is it not cold in Scotland most of the time? Um, well, I'm sure it is. But if you, as long as you dress up. No, we, we always as a family went to um, Lismore is an island just um, off the west coast of Scotland, um, just above um, Avon next to the Isle of Mull. And from a young, well, my parents went up there from when they were kids and uh, we we were brought up going up there every oh. summer and you do simple things. And oh. it's, it is a wonderful place. Hopefully we'll be up there later this summer, but we're still waiting to see whether Nicola um, will let people travel from England. Yes. And so your children love to go there now as well. 
very much so. And again, I think there's a continuity that I had that I hope that they will have. And I think the sense of home is a really important part of life. And home doesn't need to be that you live there. But I have a sense of home up there because it's been constant and a huge number of memories when you, when you uh, close your eyes. I can see um, the locks and, and I can see the estuary and, and I can see Port Appin and, and all of those places very, very, very yeah. easy. And again, yourself back. And you can take back to all those memories. And I think that, that again, I think that sense of home and a, a link of memories is hugely important. It's so true. My place would be St Anne's, which is up near Blackpool, and my granddad would take me there every every month, really. And now I go there with my children, and generally it does rain. But my <laughs> memories from when I was a child is that it's sun. The sun was shining all the time. Um, so it's funny how you have the, the differences in terms of I think of your weather. children will remember it as sunny as well, because it's totally. not about the weather. It's, it's about that overall fun and enjoyment that they take from it. Totally. I love that. I love that you've brought that to life as well in terms of the the Scotland thing. And so um, the final question that I have for you is the killer question, really. And I guess you've articulated some of the the things already as we've we've moved through, but it'd be interesting to hear what you say, because I'm asking everybody what they believe is the absolute secret to success. Work hard. Do the simple things. Don't be afraid to try and be curious and never worry about what anyone else thinks about you absolutely worry about what you think of yourself the the key key component is in leadership particularly is looking yourself in the mirror and saying was that the right thing to do and is it the right thing to do and for me that that is by far the most important thing and self-assessment to make sure that you really are at points of challenge. And again, if you take the current mm-hmm. point, it's one of if you're making a decision to go right or left, there's huge implications for other people. You have to be able to look yourself in the eye and judge yourself, not let society do it or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, you'll only know in the future whether it was right or not, but you want to know that you took the right decision with the information you had. And I was, I've always had the belief that it's much better to drive your own ship onto the cliffs than to let someone else do it. And so for me, it's about going right, going left, backing yourself, driving hard and making it happen. Because if you do that, generally you'll be successful. And the other component of that, buy yourself time. Okay. Biggest things, you can be the best and most um, brilliant organization, but if you don't have time, it can throttle you. And again, in an environment with cash where we are at the moment, making sure that you really understand your cash flow and your cost base Mm-hmm. is essential and again I, I learned that as a very young person that you have to make sure that you balance those things and sometimes people in larger organizations aren't aware of cash because they don't see it and so yeah. that that learning point probably was huge for my success it's the, it's the basics thing again isn't it you know what you were talking about before i had an amusing conversation with a chairman yesterday about a cfo articulating that in and i thought not a very good way about the fact that they felt that the CFO needed to go on a course in Harvard to get their experience. My view is that 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 individual has far more capability than that and going to a course isn't going to get the answer. Mm -hmm. And I worry when you think that you can download things or just go on courses to get answers, that inner competency and building it up through adversity and the current environment. Yeah. 
you know, I saw it in 08 when um, when I led Critical Eye through that, and there's obviously differences and similarities. There's a massive opportunity for leaders in this environment to really learn about leadership and lead as opposed to follow. And yes. by the way, that in a difficult market, it's going to make the difference. And so you're not going to read about that. You can't be fed it. You have to find it within yourself. So and look in the mirror. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Back yourself and get on with it. You're doing the best you can. I love it. You have, I knew you would be amazing to speak to. I just knew you would because you are so personable and so real in every way. I, I have just had the most wonderful half an hour. Thank you well, for being thank, so open and honest. I don't spend much time actually, you know, with these sorts of questions. So it's been nice to sort of reflect a bit on, on the things that are outside um, and, um, hopefully interesting and um for everyone but I've, I've really enjoyed it and, and thanks for your time and and uh, i think you're doing a wonderful thing so keep it up thank you that's lovely thanks for your time have a lovely day and you Asia. i do hope that you enjoyed listening to the mindset mentor meets podcast if you did be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.